Today, we have a incredible conversation with Hani Wilshansky. She owns Schools of Excellence. And we talk a lot about running a value-based business and leaving a life of legacy, which I don't think gets enough attention for any industry. So we found this conversation really valuable for any business owner. And Hani is very well-spoken. And it was a fun conversation. She has a lot to share. Um, yes, she gave us so much valuable information to use. And I think so often as women in business, we get caught up in the next fire that we have to put out or the right. next little thing. We forget to look at what our core values are and how to leave a legacy with that with your business and what that looks like. And as we talk about those things, she also mentioned so many other tips of valuable information, prioritizing your time and your schedule. And we will definitely have her back on to get some more details about all those other things she touched on. So yes, we hope you enjoy honey. I'm Sarah. I'm Caitlin. Two women discussing all things in business. Welcome to She's She's the the Boss. All right. Well, I'm glad that we're here. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Forever. So good to see you. Yeah. So, um, Hani and I have worked together. I was in her legacy group, actually owners HQ group first, and then, um, to the legacy group and been to the summit of excellence. And, um, I just think that you are just such a, an innovator in the industry and, we wanted you to be on and talk all things women in business and your story and everything. So why don't you just start out by telling everybody who you are, you know, what, what the business is like, just kind of a, a quick overview. Sure. So my name's Connie Olshansky. I grew up in New Jersey uh, for the first kind of 22 years of my life. And then I got married and moved to New York. Uh, but I've always been a New Yorker at heart. I still am, even though I speak a lot slower uh, than I used to when I <laughs> Uh, Florida kind of uh, slowed my pace of talk. Um, So I lived in New York for 19 years total because I moved to New York when I was in high school. Uh, I'm a mom of four kids. My youngest is five and my oldest will be bar mitzvah in two weeks. So I have a teenager coming up, 13. Um, I started my business a little over seven years ago after working in the field of early childhood, basically my whole life from when I was 19. I came into the classroom right after high school. Um, I worked as an early childhood assistant in a toddler classroom, taught toddlers for eight years, and then slowly moved my way through all the different layers of leadership, from assistant teacher to teacher to director, assistant director to executive director, and really kind of overseeing multiple locations. And at the core of everything that I saw throughout my uh, kind of tenure of leadership is leadership and culture were the core foundations of pieces that a lot of directors and teachers were lacking. Um, There was a lot of the technical training and kind of the table stakes of how do you do this? How do you have a conversation? How do you change a diaper? How do you warm up a bottle? How do you run the technical technical minutia of running the day? And yet those are not really the core pieces that we as leaders need. We need to understand who we are as people. What is our self-awareness? How do we show up? What is my nervous system like? How do I regulate my emotions? 
What are my triggers? What spirals me? How do I, you know, recover from this conversation? Those are the things that are at the crux of really what helps the school go from here all the way to building a long lasting legacy way beyond their tenure on this planet. Um, what is the legacy that you really want to leave behind that people will remember for always that stays inside of our hearts. And so that's really been kind of the mission of schools of excellence over the last two to three years or so in what does it take to build legacy? How do you build it through values-based leadership? How has COVID changed the complete trajectory of both the American educational system and the global educational system? How we have worked so hard over the last 10 years to be more open-minded, be progressive, bring women into business, but at the same time, we have stripped away the core foundations of values, morals, and ethics from our educational system. So we became progressive in a lot of good things, but then we have completely stripped away really core foundations that children need to survive and thrive in adulthood. Um, so that's my spiel in 60 seconds. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you, so with your business, you go into the schools specifically and educate them or do they come to you? How does it all work? So it's kind of a combination of both. So, you know, a lot of times school leaders will find us through our podcast, through me speaking at events, um, through referrals, through word of mouth. Um, I typically only go into schools when I'm doing a full day specific training for either the leadership team, the executive team, or I'm coming into train staff. Typically, our business is basically 99% online um, because we service clients all over the world, mainly based in America. But we serve a lot of clients from Canada, from the UK, from Italy, from Australia, we have clients everywhere. And the important thing to understand is, I remember one time I spoke with a member who wanted to know if there were uh, members in the program in the same zip code as her. And I said, I need you to understand that people in the zip code that you're in and people that are a zip code across the country, you all have the same issues uh, because <laughs> everywhere and it doesn't matter what zip code you live in. Um, we all want very similar things. We want legacy. We want values-based decision-making. We want freedom. We want peace. We want prosperity. We want to be able to enjoy what we actually build, right? Which is a whole separate conversation on as women become more successful and really climb the pyramid of success and, and both in personal relationships and intimate partnerships and parenting and business and money, um, they need to also learn how to enjoy what they've actually built, right? It's raising that temperature of, I've built this level of success. I've made this amount of money? Can I enjoy it? Do I know how to keep it? Or am I addicted to the chaos and the drama and the crisis? And I constantly have to have that in my life. Um, so we could talk about anything you want, but um, <laughs> we're like sitting here nodding our heads. We're like, yes, yes, yes yep. to all check, of this. Check, check. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So for as far as schools, I, I have a recent yeah. experience with a school. We were um, trying to decide, you know, where to whether to go back to homeschooling, stay in public school, choose a private school. And I toured a few schools. Um, and every place I went, it it seemed like their values aligned with what my values are, but it didn't stick with me. So do you think that's a way that they, you know, just from working with schools, is that a way that they're not effectively communicating what their values are? Mm. And I can't, I can't pinpoint what it was at the school, whether it was the classroom, the environment, the people I talked to, all of the above, but it was just like, yeah, this just doesn't, this just doesn't feel right. So how can schools or any business in general relay, properly relay what those values are to somebody coming in from the outside? Well, first I want to dig into a little bit of what you were feeling first before I answer the question. So, you know, 
intuition is a feeling that drops into us. Fear is something that we feel inside of our body where we're like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't know. Like we feel the resistance in our gut, but the intuition is something that drops and we're like, yes, this is an all knowing. This is not the right decision or this is the right decision. And so what happened in that moment that I'm going to guess is like, you know, people were spewing information at you, but you didn't feel this drop of intuition of like, yes, this is where my child belongs. This is where my to be. So my question to you is actually what, what was missing for you? Like you heard all the right things, but yet it still didn't feel connected. Where did you feel the disconnect? I think it, at least at one specific place, I noticed they didn't ask me any questions about my child. Mm. So okay. they told me stuff. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes. So they told me information. They told me the curriculum. I got a tour. I saw all the classrooms. Everything looked wonderful. All the children that were there looked happy, but there was no specific question. I noticed like, so tell us about your child. Yeah. So there is um, a little bit of a hidden value. That's something that you value, which is personal connection and relationships. It's important for you in all the relationships that you're in possibly where there is an understanding of like, do you care about me as a person? Not just what I can do for you or what I can give to you or how I can show up for you, but do you know me? Right. And so while the school might value parent partnerships or relationships or whatever it is, and a lot of schools have this as, you know, as on their charter of like, you know, these are our values, how we practice the value in actuality needs to come down to the minutia, right? So when I teach values-based leadership, it's not just about, okay, here's your list of values, diversity, inclusion, fun, teamwork, or whatever it is. Now my question is, okay, how do you practice that value at nine o'clock in the morning when 40 parents are walking into the door? How do you practice that value at a tour? How do you practice at a difficult conversation? conversation. How do you practice it when a child, when two parents are coming in um, who are divorced and they're both coming in because they both deeply care about this child and this child is struggling so hard behaviorally? How do you practice values in those moments, right? Really understanding values are not just things that we hang up on the wall. They guide all of our decision-making. They filter every choice that we make moving forward. Um, And so you heard all the right things, but the school wasn't practicing those values in actuality. It was more of these are like these North stars, but we don't really know how to live it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really important to you. So Sarah owns um, a, a dance music studio, an arts um, theater. <laughs> um, and that is something that you practice with your students when they come in. You know what's going on in their lives. You you know what they're doing outside of your studio. And so to expect that when you go somewhere else would make total sense, right? Mm-hmm. That that is a really yeah. big value for you. Yeah. So I'm curious with um, this idea of legacy. I think so many people aren't that far ahead of themselves, right? That feels so far away. Um, and we're so caught in the minutiae and the chaos and the drama and putting out the fires in the day to day that legacy is like, I'll worry about that later. Right. Do you find that the school leaders you work with embrace that concept right away? Or is it like a new concept for them that they have to wrap their brain around? Well, I think the first thing is the self-awareness that most people are very good in survival. It's familiar. Mm. It's what's comfortable because 
Um, many people have grown up in dysfunctional homes, chaotic, have ha- had difficult childhoods, have had, haven't had the best role models. Um, and so they kind of come into adulthood with a familiarity around chaos and crisis and drama. Um, again, this is not a judgment. This is not good or bad. It kind of, it just is. And so what happens is when we enter adulthood, we have to start to develop an awareness of, wow, my body is familiar in chaos. So the moment something happens, my body starts to send signals of, what the hell is this? We don't know what prosperity is. There's a full bank account. What's that? We're used to living paycheck to paycheck. Our body doesn't understand and can't map up to it. And so the first thing that we do when we're working with clients is really understanding, okay, you are currently in a survival state. And so making decisions when you're in a state of survival will keep you in a state of survival unless you're understanding that you need to make decisions from a place of legacy. So you might not be looking at what legacy is, but you have to understand that if you ever want to get out of survival, we have to look at what is the path to move from where you are right now to where you want to be. So when I think of legacy, I think of it as legacy is intentionally handcrafted every single day. Every single day, you're crafting your legacy. Um, It's not something that we decide when we're 50 and we're like, okay, what's my legacy play now? (laughs) Your legacy play is every single day, right? The podcast that I run is a big part of my legacy play. I'm writing a book now. That's another part of my legacy play. I'm looking at what are the things that live way beyond and have reached way beyond anything that I could physically do in this world? But that's a legacy that I want to leave. Not everyone has, we all have a different definition of what legacy is, right? Legacy is a big part of my family. I have four kids. You know, how am I raising them? What's going to be their contribution to society when they're ready to start giving back? Like, these are the things that I'm thinking about. When women are looking at what is the legacy that I want to leave here? The first question is, what do you want to be better or different? And how will you know? What do you want to be better or different? And how will you know? You got to know what you want. And as women, we are so conditioned to know what everyone else wants, to people please to what everyone else needs, to take care of everybody else, that it takes time to really step in and say, what do I want? What do I need? How do I want to show up? What is the mark that I want to leave in this world? Um, And magic really happens when women start to ask themselves those deeply vulnerable, quite terrifying questions. That's what I was going to say. What a scary concept, right? Yeah. (laughs) To have to think... Sorry, you broke up. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, what a scary concept to have to think so much outside of yourself and outside of what you're doing in the day-to-day and acknowledge that that actually matters, right? That's not what you're doing every day matters in the grander scheme of things. So Mm -hmm. I can imagine there's maybe some not conscious pushback, but still that scarcity mindset you know, the resistance to, to really dive into that. Yeah, there's, so the resistance a lot of times will show up uh, from a money perspective. And what we have to understand with money and women is like, it takes a long time to break generational cycles, right? For years, women were not allowed to own property. They couldn't open a bank account. They couldn't do so many things. They needed men to do that for them. Right. And so while we've come such a long way, it doesn't matter 
so many women in business right now were raised by women who didn't have those rights. They didn't have that opportunity. And so they raised their daughters with that scarcity mindset, with that, you know, you got to be careful. You have to do this. You don't invest. We don't know how. And, and so it's up to the women that are listening to this podcast, the women that are in business today to really be the generational stop, like cycle stoppers and say, no, it stops here. My daughters are not going to have this mindset. They are not going to be raised in a world where women don't have opportunities opportunity. They can't build generational wealth. They could. Um, but we have to understand where that really comes from um, before we can even start to think about how do I how do I make change for myself? Right. How, because, again, we're not saving the world. You're taking care of, hmm. you know, your home, your environment, and that creates a ripple effect. But you got to understand how the outside forces do impact um, a lot of the decisions that you make. Yeah. Well, and that's one benefit of going into business for yourself is because you're creating that because people sit back and they stay in their comfort zone and then just complain of, well, this person's making more money than me or this person's doing that. And, and not everybody, you know, may have that drive to start the business for themselves. Um, but that is definitely, I mean, that's the whole goal of our podcast is, is creating a business and, and being the boss. Cause then you're in charge of that. And the decisions you make directly affect the outcome of it. Um, and yeah, I think that's neat to, to point out about the, the legacy and doing that every single day, because that's something that can be your core that you go back to is what is this decision I'm getting ready to make what I want to be part of my legacy. Yeah. And, and the reason I brought in kind of the, the mindset piece and, and specifically with money is as you become more successful in business, as you start to grow and scale the company, opportunity will always come knocking, right? You have to remember that you have to believe that at your core that, you know, cause in the beginning when we're hustling and we're grinding and we're chasing opportunities, it's hard for us to even recognize that there will be a time that opportunities will be coming to you. And you're going to actually have to filter what you're going to say yes to, cause you can't say yes to everything. And so being so clear on your priorities, your mission, what you're doing, what legacy is helps you filter decisions, right? So let's say, for example, last week, I got two speaking opportunities, both very lucrative speaking deals, both not aligned with the mission of where I'm going right now. So they wanted me to come speak on a topic on education, but the audience in the room is not the audience that I want to be speaking to. They're not my ideal clients. And the mission that they're going after is different than my mission, right? I'm going after early childhood, education, building legacy, writing books about values-based leadership. And so while saying yes to the opportunity would have brought nice money into my bank account, it would have derailed the mission that I'm going after. Because you need to understand that speaking on a stage for an hour is not an hour. I have to prepare for that meeting. I have to do an intake call with them. I have to write the speech. I have to fly down to give the speech. That blocks out three days of my week to fly there, to speak for a day, to fly back. I need to recover. I'm not 15 anymore. Getting on a plane is not skip and jump. Um, and so now I've just dedicated over 30 hours for someone else's mission, right? And so I believe wholeheartedly in giving back. I believe wholeheartedly in supporting other people's opportunities, other people's growth and, and all of that. And then you have to create containers. How much time will I dedicate towards serving other people's missions and visions versus the mission and vision that is larger than life than what I'm building. Um, and it's really hard to say, no, it does not get easier. It never gets easier. You get wiser, smarter, and faster. Yeah. And I think 
something that's so beautiful about you is that you recognize that there are these different seasons of life that you're in, right? And when you have four children, you have to do that yeah. if you have any children, really. But Sarah, yeah. Sarah sh- shares uh, almost the same amount of children that you do. I have five, <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> so, but looking through that lens of what season of life I'm in, and yeah. you do that so eloquently because. I think, like you said, that hustle, that drive, I have to do this. And I think women in our generation growing up, um, you know, less scarcity mindset, I think, and, and told we can do anything that we want to do. And so all of a sudden we're like, sweet, let's go. Let's do do this. I have (laughs) the world at my fingertips. Right. And so we do want to say yes to those opportunities. And I'm sure part of, at some point in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, oh gosh, okay, I'm going to say no to this. What's maybe the fallout of this? But the other side is so strong, right? So it's like, how do you discern uh, when to take the opportunity and what season of life you're in? Oh, I love this question. I can talk about this forever. (laughs) So um, let's, let's, let's divide seasons of life in kind of different, different buckets. So I often talk about, and I'm recording a podcast episode on this, actually how to be a four seasons leader. So the seasons of the seasons from a four seasons leader is right. We have winter, fall, spring, and summer. And so a lot of leaders are phenomenal winter leaders. They're amazing in crisis. They're amazing when things, you know, are disaster. They know how to roll up their hands and fix it. They're not afraid to get their hands dirty. They're amazing in the winter season. But then when the spring and summer come and there's prosperity and there's blooming and there's opportunity, um, they don't know how to capitalize on that season. Um, So what happens is, is all the things that they did to get them out of the winter season, right? All the things that they did to fix the problem, um, they stop doing when they get into the summer season. They're like, oh, great. It's good now. Now I don't need to do all those things. Right. We're done with that. And then what happens is before they turn around, they're back in winter because they don't know how to sustain and be a four seasons leader. So that's like one concept to understand, you know, just from a self-reflection standpoint, what type of leader are you currently? Are you a great winter leader? Are you a great summer leader? You know, and, and then just recognize that no judgment and then say, okay. What are the skills that I need to build to be a four seasons leader? Because that's how you build seven figure, eight figure generational wealth. Like that's how you do it. You've got to know how to ride every single season. So that's one piece. The other thing is in seasons of life is understanding the seasons of your personal life and the cycles that it works through. So sometimes you might be in a season of life where your marriage is going through a really big trend. Um, you know, your husband might have a new job. There might be other opportunities. There are other outside forces that are kind of, you know, maybe your husband's family's uh, parents are sick or your family is going through a transition. And that kind of creates tension within the relationship. Not bad tension, not like, it, there's nothing to do with that. This is just understanding that you're in a season where your safety and your security is not as rock solid as it usually is because you're going through, you're going through some tension. When the couple is going through their tension, whatever's happening, it immediately impacts the kids. There's no such a thing as it doesn't impact the kids, right? So now, on top of anything that's going on with your partner, one of your kids is going to pick up on that stressor, and they're going to start having having trouble. So either they're going to start having a hard time in school, or they're going to start having a hard time with their relationships, or they're going to, something's going to happen. It's not all your kids, right? If you have more than one kid, not every kid, you know, responds to that. And so now you're like, okay, gosh, I'm in a season of tension in my marriage. One of my kids is taking up all of my energy and consuming me. 
do I have capacity to go after this big business goal? Is this the season to do this in? Or do I need to go inward for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know, tend to the tenderness of my child and my relationship, and then come out on the other side stronger and be ready to say yes to that opportunity. So that's kind of like one one season. Then there are seasons where you're in a season of health, right? Where your health might not be in its optimal place. Maybe you're postpartum, maybe you're pregnancy, maybe you're not any related to pregnancy or postpartum, but your health is just you know, taking a hit after years and years of ignoring your body, your body's like, okay, we need to sit now. We need to rest. We'll not be doing that today. Right. Um, respecting that you're in a season of healing, respecting that you're in a season of rebuilding your physical body. Um, and then the other piece, when I think of seasons of life is understanding the seasons of business. So when you're in a season of hiring, uh, which typically kind of happens in the summer season or in the fall season, some people have it in the middle of the year, whatever it is, recognizing when you're in a big season of hiring, please don't say yes to a million other initiatives. You're in a season of hiring. Your brain capacity is in meeting so many new people, understanding so many new needs. Gosh, that's exhausting on the body and the mind. You're in a season of hiring. When you're in flu season, it comes every year. Please, guys, don't get shocked when it comes this year. It comes every single year. And every single year, people are going to get sick. People are going to call out. When you are in flu season, are you overcommitting yourself or are you creating margin for my directors might be pulled into costumes sometimes? You know, that means that I might be pulled into the day to day. And so what happens is when we're not mentally prepared for it, we get pissed when we have to be pushed into that place. And then we start judging ourselves. We start shaming ourselves. I'm not really an owner. I'm not a real CEO. I'm not doing CEO work. No, you are. You're in a three-week season that you need to run the office shift because your director's in the classroom. It's going to go away. Flu season doesn't last 12 months a year. So that's just a little bit about what I have to say about it. And, and constantly tracking and asking yourself, what season am I in? What season am I in? Um, it removes a lot of the, sh- the self-blame and shame that, gosh, women are notorious for. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's funny because it's like one topic leads to another topic leads to another topic yeah. within this, and it definitely snowballs. But one of the things that you mentioned, you know, as far as even just flu season, that is something that you have to prepare for way yeah. in advance. You know, like when I make my schedule of teachers and I make my dance schedule, I always leave one teacher off at night, and that's my substitute. But the where I'm saying the snowball um, effect comes in is that I'm like, we need more classes. So I need to fix this problem. Well, this teacher's available this Tuesday night. So now I can put a class on Tuesday night, not thinking way down the road, I'm going to need that teacher to sub. And then here we are canceling classes on Tuesday nights Mm -hmm. because now I've, you know, kicked myself in the rear by scheduling that teacher. You've cashed in your insurance policy. Hiring more staff is a retention insurance policy. So just like you can't pull out of the lot with your car without having car insurance, you can't purchase a house unless you have homeowner's insurance, right? The moment you get married and you now have dependabilities and you have a child, you purchase life insurance. Why? Why do we buy insurance, right? We hope to never have to cash it in. We hope to never have to use it. But we buy insurance because life is unpredictable. Life has uncertainty and volatility and chaos and crisis. And so we need insurance as a small measure of protection of if something happens, I'm insured. The issue with staffing is we staff because we know it's coming, but we cash in the insurance. Like we literally cash it in. You booked a class. Okay, well, now you don't have insurance anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) 
look at extra staffing as insurance, you will not cash it. Um, in the same way that we don't, you know, cash our life insurance policy when you're still alive, like you don't pull at it because you, you need it. Yeah. Right. And that can go with every decision that you make, not staffing, but just everything like, okay, if I solve the problem by doing it this way, what other new problem am I creating? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Be careful for the problems you pray for. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think Right. And those things bring new problems. Yeah. And I, I think you get to a point where you, the problems never go away. It's the quality of problems that you have, right? Yes. Yeah. Todd and I, so Todd Herman's my mentor and and I brought in this question and I was kind of agonizing over it in a very weird way. And I don't even know why I was having so much anxiety wrapped around it. And then Todd kind of put me in in my place and he was like, honey, those are rich people problems. Can we talk about it like a rich person? not poor people problems. And I was like, oh man, like, and then I just approached the problem from such a different perspective. So just like you were saying, Caitlin, right? The problems never go away. It's the quality of the problems. And if we look at something from the perspective of like, these are rich people problems. These are like high level legacy problems. Mm -hmm. Gosh, what a gift to work on issues like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Little mindset check there, huh? But Yes, yes, it was in order to do all of this, everything that you've talked about, you have to have such an incredible level of self-awareness that when you are locked into the minutiae, you have no brain space to uh, have that introspection. You don't take the time to do that. Not only is it a scary place to go, but you simply are like, no, I have a thousand fires to put out. And yeah. you know, in our industry, you're, you're staying for aftercare and then you're having to do the budget later and payroll at midnight and blah, 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 right? When do I have time to look at myself? And I think what's Mm -hmm. so incredible that you do in your groups is that when we show up there, we are literally there to take the time to have that introspection and to be really honest with ourselves. And sometimes that sucks, right? Especially when you are like a high level leader to have to say, here's the things I'm struggling with, or here are the things that I kind of suck at, (laughs) right? Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting at the at the most recent summit. One of the things that I was saying was, you know, pick three things that you want to be awesome at. Like, I want to be amazing at these three things. And then what is everything else that you're going to play average at and be horrible at? Mm-hmm. So as a high performer, it's really difficult to say I'm going to play average in certain areas of life. It does is it actually gives you permission to be excellent in the three buckets that you care about, right? I care about my marriage, my kids, and my business. That's it. I don't care how towels are folded. I don't care how dishes are done. I don't care how laundry is done. I don't care how you spread out the bread, this, you know, the bed sheets. Absolutely do not care if the apples have bruises on them. We will survive. Like those things don't come up in my radar, in my scale, in, in just in my mind capacity, because the brain only has so much space. Am I going to give space for how soft are the plums and peaches? Or am I going to give space to what does my daughter Hyla need right now in this moment? How do I show up as a better parent for her? I want all brain capacity for that conversation mm-hmm. because what fruit it's out the next day, how I talk to my daughter impacts her nervous system forever, forever. Right? So Really, and I'm curious, actually, I'd love to ask each of you, like, what are the three areas of life where you're like, this is where I'm going to be awesome at, and this is what I'm going to play average. Like, I will be average here, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I have to think about that for a second. I mean, it's definitely like 
business, marriage, family for me. And I do remember somewhere along like my self-development journey, somebody was like, pick three things, pick three things. That's all Mm. you got. You can't have the five (laughs) things, right? So if like friends are the thing that's falling off, like sure, you can still have friendships, but you're not going to be excellent at them, right? So those are it for me. And I, and I have to admit that sometimes I still play into the minutia of like, oh my gosh, there's dishes in the sink. Why am I the only (laughs) one who's doing that? Right. Like, and I use up my brain space on that. Um, but if I'm really asking myself, like those, those are it. Right. And, and those fall right into legacy and they impact my life the most on a day-to-day basis. Right. Those are what give me purpose and joy and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those three things. Yeah. Well, and even with the three things, you have to figure out how to balance them because, you know, just like you're saying, when you're talking to your kid, if I get an email and I feel like I need to respond right away and I start yelling at my kid because they're interrupting me and I can't finish this email, it's like, okay, this email is not life and death. (laughs) Start, come back to it, help my child with what they need because to a six-year-old telling me about this picture is the most important thing to him Mm -hmm. right now. But this person asking a question that has to do with a week from now can totally wait. So it's also even in those three things, being able to know which one to give attention to and when and how. And yeah, it's hard, especially when it's all coming at you at once, you know, especially like for me, the hours of 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. where my that's the prime hours of my business happening. But yeah, it's school pickup and dinner and bedtimes and my family needs me so much, but all the questions are coming from work at that point in time. So it is really hard to balance all of that and know when to say, I'll get to that later. And if you have any advice on any of that, that would be great. Oh boy. Does I she. Do. <laughs> Lots of thoughts. So I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about competing priorities and I want to talk about mental, emotional, invisible labor. Um, so one of the things that we train on in the owners group and, and how they need to coach their admin team is you, the, the leader is always going to have competing priorities come at you. That is part of being in a position of leadership. Because even in the context, if you roll down just business, right, you can have a teacher needing something from you, a child needing something from you, and a parent needing something from you. All competing priorities, those are the three stakeholders, right? So who gets your attention first? That's where you have to understand competing priorities moves through the lens of company values. What is the top value? What is the second value, right? And you have to make these instant second decisions. You don't get to sit down with a filter and a journal and a pen and paper and start saying, okay, So what are the values? What are the competing priorities? What am I going to answer first now? It doesn't work like that. It's a millisecond decisions, which is why you need reps, right? You need training. You need to run the reps of, okay, when three people are asking me for the same thing, what is the value system, right? So let's say, for example, when I get four requests and my team needs to know which request do we answer to first, always an existing client always gets first attention. And any time we have a rollout, an existing client always gets priority. Second priority is any speaking or money-related sales, right? That's the filter. That's the way that we work through it, right? So they can have four competing priorities, but they know this is the filter. Current client, new sale. Um, Other businesses have a different approach. Some people have approach new sale, then current client. There's no judgment. Just know what the value system is and what your priority is. So when I think of competing priorities um, in the family, I often think about who do I have capacity for in this moment? 
which priority is standing in front of me now that my nervous system is ready to go up against? Because if I'm going to choose a priority where my emotional state of being is poor and I have high emotion and low cognition, um, that's not going to be a very good engagement. Okay. High emotion, low cognition, stay away. Keep your mouth shut, stay away. So when you have competing priorities, that's where the self-awareness comes in where you say, okay, I have this kid, this kid, and my husband. Where is my emotional state in this current moment? Do I have capacity to have this conversation with my partner? Or is the conversation going to trigger me and spiral me? And then I'm going to end up yelling at the two kids. Okay, so I'm going to tell my husband to wait. And I'm going to deal with this one because this is where I have emotional capacity in this moment. So being unapologetic about your own regulatory state gosh, is that a gift to all the people that you love in your life? Um, so that's one thing I would say. Um, the other thing when I think of mental, emotional, invisible labor is running a business and the CEO level and the legacy level um, has so much invisible labor because decision-making is a job. Okay. Um, do you, are you guys familiar with Eve Rotsky? Do you know, are you familiar with her work? No, no. Gosh, you got to. Okay, so Eve Rosky wrote the book Fair Play um, and the book U Unicorn Space, um, and she talks about uh, division of labor um, and how to really create more fair and equitable uh, home environments between a husband and wife. And so one of the things that she talks about is how we think that so much of the work that woman does is invisible, right? We don't see the woman sitting and conceptualizing the vacation that they're going to take. We don't see the woman conceptualizing the plan of how to get this kid to the doctor, that kid to soccer practice, this thing over there, and also book the anniversary dinner. Like, we don't see all the work, so we don't value it because we don't see it right? The issue is, is that work is work and it taxes the woman's body and mind. And so the same thing is in leadership, making decisions is exhausting. It is exhausting. It takes so much of your capacity because you have to weigh in all the stakeholders, all of the people, all the implications from financial to brand, to reputation, to all the things that you're looking at. And we sit for an hour making a decision, and then we're like, gosh, I really need the, the afternoon off. And then you tell yourself, well, I can't, I can't do that. I only worked for an hour today. And it's like, no, no, my friend. No, no. <laughs> I know you physically worked for an hour, um, but you actually did a week's worth of work. So you're good. Go to the beach. Go relax. We're, we're good. Um, but we don't value invisible labor and we have to make the invisible visible we have to start showing our admin team what decision making is and why it takes time my calendar shows decision making time it literally shows khani is making decisions on the next evolution of the org chart these are her two hours right so it's not like oh she has free time i wonder what she's getting a manicure at today no no i am actually making a decision about what our org chart is going to look like next so we could talk about that a little bit also if you want. <laughs> I know there's, there's so much, there's so much that mm -hmm. we could talk about and dive into. Um, yeah. I feel like we need to have another episode at some point. Yeah. We definitely <laughs> need to have you back on. Yeah. I, I think that this can span across so many industries, right? It spans, it's not just early childhood. It's not just schools. It's women in business all have very similar struggles, you know, yeah. and, and deal with, like you said, there's so much 
brain capacity that we spend on these invisible things that are so undervalued, even from ourselves. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. We don't value doing that. We're like, I just spent two hours organizing all the kids flights and camp arrangements. Cause my kids are going to camp in Canada. And then I was like, Oh, okay. On to making breakfast. And I'm like, one second. Like I just did a whole lot of stuff right mm-hmm. now. Don't value it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting thing. I think in our, just in our society and culture right now that I think could be a whole different conversation. (laughs) Right. We definitely need to, we need to continue this on, on another episode for sure. Because even for me personally, one of the things I struggle with is people don't see how much time it takes to make decisions. And like we talked about earlier, how putting out one fire creates another fire and having to take the time to think through all of those things and all the things that are in my head that people don't know, and then feeling like I need to communicate that with them. Um, and so, you know, one of my insecurities in running a business right now is I don't know if all the people that work for me or all the families realize how much I do. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to show them that, but I, I don't. (laughs) Right. And I need to come to terms with that, that, that exactly what you're saying, this, this time that you take even on decision-making and putting that on a schedule, that's incredible and, and good advice because that is work and it's not something anybody else can outwardly see, but it is work. And it is something that's so important for your legacy in the future of your business. And you've definitely given us a lot to think about. We would love to have you back on to talk about some more of these things. Um, can you, um, also go ahead and share the name of your podcast, your website, your social media, all those things that everybody can, can know and look you up. Sure. So you can follow us in the schools of excellence podcast. That's where we talk about all things, leadership, culture, mindset, womanhood, motherhood, all, all the things. Um, our website is the same, also schoolsofexcellence.com. You can follow us on social. It's t- it's typically my name, Connie Wolshansky, um, on social. Um, and I, I just want to leave the woman with this message is every single one of you are listening are doing the best that you can with what you have, with the resources, with the mindset, with the skills that you currently have built or have been given to you. Give yourself grace. Remind yourself that you are truly doing the best that you can. And every day doing a little bit better, 1% better. Perfection is never the goal. Go into the pursuit of excellence. Um, And please be kind to yourself. Your babies, your husband, they'll all be grateful for that. The kinder you are to yourself, the kinder you are to everyone else. Mm. Absolutely. Man, you are so eloquent. This is so wonderful. I'm so (laughs) glad that you joined us. Thank you so much for spending time. Um, and we will connect soon. Yes. All right. right. Take care. Bye. Bye.